morning. I'm a little distracted this morning. Uh, I'll get over here in just a minute, get this off my chest. I, a lady came in here this morning, and uh, I felt she really needed to talk to me. I really needed to talk to her, not one I'd seen before. I hope she's still here. But we uh, sometimes get a rush of people, and they're coming from all directions. And I never, never, never want to ignore anybody. I didn't ignore her. I hope she's still here. I've been looking for her, but uh, there was somebody else came in about the same time, a couple of people, and I just felt I really needed, and I asked her to excuse me for just a minute, and I turned around, and then I didn't see her uh, after I turned back around, and I, uh, I, just, I just hope that didn't happen. I don't want to ask her to raise her hand if she's still here, but uh, sometimes that happens out there, folks. I never want to anybody to feel slighted by lack of pastoral attention, but uh, I just uh, couldn't be helped at the moment. So that happens lots of times, people coming in, and sometimes I see somebody that I must say something to, and I have to excuse myself, or sometimes I don't even get to it. <sighs> Hate it. Well, <sighs> let's go to John chapter 7. This really relates to the week we've had, really relates to the days that we're, we're in. I want to tell you a funny one from my grandson last night, Aiden. He's five. He went to a birthday party yesterday where they were going to do for the first time roller skating. Five years old. Came home and Christy happened to be down there. She asked, well, Aiden, how did it go? He said it was a living nightmare. <laughs> That's him. You know, you don't know where it was a living nightmare on the scale. Well, let me pray and then we'll read this text from John chapter 7. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you in this Passover commemoration Sunday, we thank you for sending your son into the world to be our savior. We're thankful that most of us, at least in this congregation, the spirit of God has touched and drawn to our Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, we have life and we have life eternal. We have life and that more abundantly. We have the expectation of the resurrection and living forevermore in your presence, ruling and reigning with our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of all of our sin. We pray that you may be glorified in the continued proceedings of this worship service and the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now we are in John chapter 7. We're going to finish this today. It's been a little sloper, but very much, very much needed. So we pick up here in... Um, Verse, oh, verse 40. And some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, some of them, they said, this certainly is the prophet referring to Exodus, where Moses announced the coming of a new Moses at some point. Others were saying, 
this is the Christ, the Messiah. They didn't always, the Jews, equate the prophet, the new Moses, with the Christ, the Messiah. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from that ding-dong town gap in Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? Well, it did, in fact. And from Bethlehem, it did, in fact, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the village where David was. So there arose, familiar, there arose a division in the multitude because of him, still is. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Familiar goes back to verse 30 of this chapter. The officers, therefore, came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, the elites, the upper crust, and they said to them, that is, the ruling intelligentsia, they said, why did you not bring him? That's what we sent you guys to do. Here you are, empty-handed. The officers answered, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. Ah. The Pharisees therefore answered them, Have you idiots also been led astray? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? Wrong. And this multitude out there, it does not even know the law, it's accursed. They're dumber than a box of rocks. Nicodemus said to them, he was one of them. He said to them, he's the one that came to Jesus by night, John chapter 3, being one of them. He was one of the Sanhedrin, the Senate. Uh, just a minute here. The law does not judge a man unless it first hears him and knows what he's doing. You just don't do this out of hand. Does it sound fairly familiar to our political culture today? They answered him and said, You idiot, one of their own. You are not one of them, are you? One of those hicks from Galilee? Search and see that no prophet comes out of Galilee. They were wrong about that. Isaiah chapter 9. And everyone went to his own home. <clears throat> Introduction. In this passage, we are reminded that when Jesus and his followers show up, division follows. You want to know what it's all about in this country today? A lot of it may not seem like it at all. It's all about, really, it's all about Jesus. I wish I could develop that. It's not because the Lord Jesus foments rebellion and, and all of this factiousness, all this division. But it's because the forces of darkness, directly or indirectly, sooner or later, react to the presence of light. That's John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Factiousness goes with the territory, and we're seeing it multiplied in our day. I'm emphasizing this fact 
of our modern cultural life because Jesus told us, his disciples, in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, they have come after me. They're going to kill me. And if they come after me, I'm telling you, somewhere down the line, they're going to come after you. I'm telling you, put it down. Put it down. The Apostle Paul said in Second Timothy chapter 3, he said, all who desire, do you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? You will suffer persecution. If you're just blending in, you might escape it. But just know that. If you stick out as a disciple, you really desire, and that's what you pursue. A lot of people are naive, and they just hate to take a stand. In my, I've said this a lot, almost 60 years in the ministry, I've seen that. And some people cause my blood to boil. It's not always those who hate my guts. They're not hard to find. It's it's the kind who like to blend in and stay on the side. Oh, I, I don't like confusion. I don't want I don't want division. They're not going to take a stand. They just run for cover. Well, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be his disciple. You can't be one of those who runs for cover. Take a stand. Let's not run and hide from division like we see in this passage. Let's get on the right side of division and stand firm without being belligerent or hateful, but being trustful in the plan and purposes of God, knowing that in the, in the end, we win and we win big. And we have God's help every step of the way in between. This world does not allow Christians living all out for Christ to be comfortable at all times. So many Americans, but I speak particularly of Christians, we just want to be comfortable. We find, I found out this week in Nashville how tough that is. I mean, here's a, Here's a trans woman that came to the school. The school was all locked up. I saw her on video, as if you saw her. Take a big gun, just blowing all the locked doors out, marching in, finding somebody to kill. And she did. Well, that came to there. Someday it'll come here. I don't necessarily mean right here, but that stuff happens. Jesus said in this world, John 16, you, who was he talking to? Not Americans. He was talking to disciples. You shall have tribulation. This passage we've just looked at is not here merely for window dressing or for historic, historical purposes. It's for that. But it's exemplary as I try to show you all the time in the scriptures. It's as if to declare, look, don't expect in this world, if you follow me, don't expect to be this world's darling. You can be the sweetest person on earth. 
And a lot of you are just sweet as you can be. You're wonderful people. I love you. But it doesn't mean the world's going to. Jesus did not say, take up your couch and follow me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And a cross spelled pain and suffering and distress. So here in verses 40 through 44, you find that boiling up to the surface. You're going to find it all through John. Actually, we're back in John 7, but we're leading right up. It's very close in time to the cross. Some of them were saying, well, he's this. He's the prophet. They didn't associate that, some of them, with the Messiah. That's what Moses meant. Some says, oh, he is the Messiah. He's the one. Look at all the things he's done. All of that was to the good. We saw that many of those earlier in this text, many of those of multitude were coming to believe in him, and others were violently rejecting him. And so you had a big row going on in the multitude. So there arose a division, 43, 44, in the multitude because of them. And the big shots, the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish Senate made up of 70 elites who were in bed with the Romans pretty much. They were afraid of him. They were afraid of his popularity. They were afraid there'd be a big stir going on about him. And there were hundreds of thousands in Jerusalem at this time. And this guy, this guy was a lightning rod, this Jesus fellow. And wherever he went, he attracted lightning. And there were some who believed in him, and with good reason. And there are others who say, oh, come on, get off of it. This guy's not the Messiah. Some said for this reason, some said for that reason. And some would quote Scripture because the devil can always quote Scripture to his own purpose. They were right about some things, but they had their conclusions wrong. Well, he always attracts lightning because he's the very embodiment of truth. Remember John 14? I'm the way. I'm the truth. And the light. There's not your truth, his truth, their truth. There, there is truth. And he is the embodiment of it. And in this dark and evil world where the mass of humanity is natively aligned with darkness and deceit, Jesus divides. He doesn't come in to divide, but he divides those who love the truth from those whose affinity is with darkness and deceit. It'll happen every time. John 3.20, Jesus is the touchstone of what is good and true and what is light and right. And the hearts of humanity line up accordingly. He compels Jesus. He compels, it just happens. It's a spiritual dynamic. He compels or repels according to the inclination of the human heart. Some of you young people are in college or you're going to college. You're beginning to find that out. There will be students or in the workplace whose hearts the Spirit of God is compelled to come to Jesus. But you're going to find the mass in the streets or at work or at school. You're going to find them being repelled according to the inclination of their unborn-again hearts.
The Spirit of God creates that positive leaning toward Jesus. And where he's not doing that, it's going the other way, and a lot more of them than there are us. Well, in the case of those disinclined to trust in Jesus, and that's most of the people around us, disinclined to follow him, the Spirit of God gives Satan permission to mislead them to perdition, even with God's own word. You've heard that statement, the devil can quote scripture according to his own purpose. Well, they were quoting scripture, some of them, but they had the meaning of it. They had it mixed up, messed up. I want to illustrate that. Years ago, many years ago, I lived a long time. Many years ago, I was holding a retreat down in the Bay Area. it's a large church and had a large group. And they didn't put me up in a hotel. They put me up with a family that had this large home. Most of us, you take your home, my home, and somebody else's home, it could have put three homes inside of this one. And uh, this lady, her name was Coralie, very nice lady, uh, took me to the retreat in her Beamer. I was living high. And uh, on the way, she shared her testimony, how she came to Christ. Her husband was a, a biggie. He was a concrete contractor, San Jose and all those places. Lots of money. They were still young. They had little children. A lot of money very fast. So here was her testimony in brief, as she told me. I'm talking about asking to find out. She said, well, Jim, she said, I was was an atheist. I didn't know another Christian in this this whole world. I hadn't met one. But she said, I had everything a woman could want. I had a husband that I loved. I have, I still love, have a husband that's very successful have these little kids, I don't know whether two or three, and they're the delight of my life. Said I could buy anything that I wanted to buy, within reason, I guess, and did. And she said, I was miserable. And so one night, she said, I was so miserable I got out of bed. I'm talking about asking the Lord to lead us into the truth. She said, believe it or not, somehow, some way, I don't even remember. I went downstairs to the living area, and she said, I found a Bible, a Bible in my house, <laughs> and I got it out, and I opened it up as I sat there in the night, the middle of the night, and she said, she went to the Lord, but she didn't know. She said, God, if you're there, I need to know. She was sincere. Just tell me if you're there. I haven't believed it. And so she opened the Bible and she said, I just happened to hit on Romans, Paul's epistle to the Romans. 
And she said, I started reading. And I don't remember how far she said she read, but probably a good way. She sat there for some time just reading through Romans. And she said, the Spirit of God opened my heart to see, to know, and to believe that Jesus is the Savior, that God is there. She wasn't trying to find excuses to continue. She was miserable. She knew the life that she was living was not working. Everything that a human being could want, lived in a free country, all of that, was all there. What else could you want? She was miserable. As I said last Sunday, there was a great big hole at the center of her soul. So if you're there, show me. And she was sincere in that. Spirit of God had set her up for this, inclined her heart to believe the truth if the truth was revealed to her. And it was that night. And she received Christ down there in that living room. And the next morning, guess what she did? She got up and went out into her world trying to find a Christian. (laughs) She didn't know exactly where to turn, but she went to that church that I had spoken at. It was a great big church. And to find a Christian, somebody to kind of help her along the way. And boy, had she and her husband, he came to Christ. Had they found the way? Yes, they had. That's wonderful. Well, her name is Coralie. I don't know what's happened to Coralie. I'm sure she doesn't know what's... I'm sure she thinks I'm dead at the doorstop. <laughs> anyway, I'm still here. Thank you, Coralie. Well, verses 45 through 46, the officers came, therefore, the officers, who were they? They were the, they were the police, temple police. They had been sent out earlier, as we saw in a previous text. They wanted to get this guy, Jesus, off the streets. They hadn't been able to. He was They just hadn't been able to bring it off. So they said, you guys are our police force. You're the law enforcement around here. Go out and find this guy and haul him in here. We want to get him off the streets. We want to get him dead. Well, we see that the officers therefore came to the chief priest and they said to them, the chief priest, all these people said, what are you guys doing? We sent you out to arrest this fellow. You come back here empty-handed. He's one man. Don't know how many there were then. And they said, whoa, we never heard anybody speak like this man. He's absolutely compelling the authority, the the aura on him. He just paralyzed us. We were just frozen there. Oh, there's a lesson there. Their assignment was to arrest Jesus. The authorities were, as you would have been, They were simply mystified while they returned from their mission empty-handed. Folks, again, with God, nothing will happen until when and if he wants it to happen, a case in point. I want to talk about that. We talked about that last Sunday. Here it is again. They said, never did a man speak like this. You know, 
honestly, as as we get older and things happen, uh, my wife over here, uh, most of you know that for those who don't, I can't tell you what a daredevil she was in her younger years, but she's no longer like that. You know, she begins to understand her vulnerability. And when you have people break in in the middle of the night, break into your garage and take your car, <laughs> and you don't even know it, you know, you you began to get a little bit more scared. And other things that happened, and that she was the last thing, she and her daddy, from a scaredy cats. They did crazy things. But she comes up and told, last night was one of those nights. And she came up and I won't tell you the things that she was expressing to me, but she was she was just concerned about personal security and security here. You know, at our church, by the way, we have people who are invested in that. And so I told her, I said, honey, and you do the same. Once you do your due diligence, there is due diligence. But once you do your due diligence, you've just got to sit back and say, there is our God in heaven. And we're depending on him. And nothing is going to happen to you or me or Jesus, his people. Nothing is going Nothing bad is going to happen unless the Lord ordains it. Relax and live and do what you ought to do. Well, these guys came back. They were paralyzed at the voice of Jesus, just like the people in Exodus at the foot of Mount Sinai were paralyzed at the voice of God. Wow. Moses, we don't want to hear that voice again. Well, folks, just understand that God will adjust the voice that you hear. He will adjust it to exactly the way he wants you to hear it. The authority of the word of God is such that as God wills it, it can mysteriously break through any communication barrier on earth, like the day of Pentecost. When you have these people all gathered around on the day of Pentecost, all running together, they didn't know what the heck was happening. They were from all over the world. Something big was going on. You know how it is. You've seen it. When people, something's going on, they all just converge. From every place the Jewish people were scattered on earth, all the way from Rome. And all of a sudden, these people, these people, they weren't multilingual, most of them. They were standing there and they were speaking. We call it speaking in tongues, but not the way you usually mean it. This one was a Cretan. That one was a Roman that one was a Parthian. This other one was an Egyptian. They all spoke different language, but every person was hearing the voice of God, hearing the gospel in their own language, though they didn't speak that language. 
How is this? What's going on here? It was a phenomenon of understanding. There is no barrier that the voice of God finds it impossible to overcome if God wants it to happen. So I'm saying to you, this episode that happened with Jesus, God can melt the hardness of any heart. He can open the eyes of the blind. He can cause the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He can, with his voice, cause the lame to walk. He can cleanse a leper, raise the dead, and paralyze as here hostile intent. We've just got to back up and realize, look, I may go down. You may go down. I don't know how these days are going to get, whether the 